Okay, uh, good morning again. So glad you guys are here. We're going to get into the Word of God. We are, as you know, one church in three locations, campus in Santa Barbara, here in Carpinteria and Ventura. And our Ventura campus is joining us for the sermon. Let's let them know we love them. Give them some love. All right, let's open up to 1 John now. We are in the book of 1 John. Been in the book of 1 John for, I don't know, few weeks. There it is, 1 John. And we're in chapter 4, looking at verses 7 through 12. A strong theme in the book of 1 John is love and the fact that God is love and has and does love us greatly. And in light of that, we ought to love, we ought to love one another. And if you're getting familiar with John, John repeats themes over and over. He's a very good pastor. He repeats himself and he wants to drive the message home. And so this is not the first time he's brought up that we are loved and so we ought to love each other and it won't be the last time. But this is an important section of scripture because it explains why we love each other as Christians. So 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 12. I am reading and teaching from the New American Standard Bible. John the Apostle writes and says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask that you would give us insight. We ask that Holy Spirit, you who Jesus said are the teacher of all things, would teach us about this thing called love, Christian love, agape love, and the way that we're called to love one another. And Lord, I would just confess at the outset that I continually fall so short of this call to love one another with an agape love. And I think maybe the church needs help from you in this area that we need to grow in loving each other, caring for each other, forgiving each other, being selfless toward each other, considering each other is more important than ourselves, Lord. We just confess that we're so formed and driven by our self-oriented consumeristic culture and our sin nature, which we still battle with, is always... Uh, sort of giving itself to that, but we want to live according to the new nature that's been alive to God through Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. It has experienced the love of God. And so we want to love each other in that way. And so help us, Lord. Help us with our bitterness. Help us with our selfishness. Help us with our unforgiveness and our self-centeredness. Help us to love each other with the love with which we've been loved by you through Christ. And we ask together that you please anoint me to teach and preach in a way that is faithful to you and fruitful for your purposes, and that you give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, and feet to follow you. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, that baby crying just reminded me that I have a baby at home. As you know, a four-month-old, Theodora, which means supreme gift in Greek, as she is. And one of the things that having a baby reminds you of is this fact. It reminds you that we were made for love. We were made for love. God created humanity for love, to be loved by him, to receive love, and to give love. Humanity was created by God for love. We were knit together in our mother's wombs, fearfully and wonderfully made, that we might be loved by God and loved by people. And when you have a little baby, it reminds you of that because this thing comes and you just love it with like a crazy love. You know what I'm talking about. Now, there are times and ways in which that goes awry in our world. I, teenagers. teenagers, that's one example. I don't mean like that. I mean um, because there are unwanted children, right? Because there are orphans and kids that are rejected. And these are the results of sin. But what God intended, what God meant, is that we were made for love. Evidenced by that little glimpse of God's original intention that when this baby comes, you just love this thing. And it's an unconditional love, isn't it? And it's a love that is not reciprocated necessarily immediately, right? Like this kid comes out and it's not like, oh, I love you, mom, dad, how can I help you? This thing comes out and it's like puking and pooping and you're up all night, but you love this thing with an unbelievable love, especially if they have fat cheeks. Can I get an amen? Amen. My baby has the fattest cheeks, just just jiggling fat cheeks, a gift from God. But babies are evidence that we were made for love and evidence that we were made not only to receive love, but, but to give love because what do babies do? Pretty soon they start loving back. And isn't it cool when they start loving back? And have you noticed you don't even have to teach them that? It's something that God put in us, right? One day, these, this, this, little, this little cute thing with these chubby cheeks smiles at you. And one day, as soon as she's able, she clings to your shirt when you're trying to hand her off to someone else. And she responds to you in this loving way. And it's just a little glimpse in a very hard, fallen, painful world. It's just a little glimpse of how it's meant to be, that we were made for love, to be loved and to give love. Now, that has gone awry in the world. And people do all sorts of sad things when they don't feel loved, when they don't feel wanted. Some of the most destructive behaviors in our world are because someone didn't feel loved and wanted. That's the results of sin in our sin. But what Christianity is, is a return to the way things were meant to be. Because Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven of our sins so that the separation between us and a holy God might be removed, that we might experience in an unfettered way the wild, wonderful love of God the Father. Christianity is a restoration to the way things are meant to be, that we can receive love from God. That's the way it was meant to be in the garden. Adam and Eve, just loved by God, sin tainted that. 
Christianity is a restoration of that. And it's meant to be like babies, a little glimpse on earth of how it's supposed to be. And that we are loved by God and we love one another in an unfettered, unselfish, untainted way. The church is supposed to be a little glimpse of heaven on earth, like the birth of a fat-cheeked baby. We are meant to be an expression of the love of God. That's what our text is saying when it says, Beloved, you who are loved, agape toy in the Greek, Beloved, you who are loved, love, agape is a word there, love one another. Loved ones. John was saying that he loved them as his pastor and leader and as an apostle, but they are also the beloved of God. Beloved, loved ones, love one another is the exhortation of the text. That is the call on the church. You who are loved by God, you should love with the love of God, agape love, one another. Now, that's what the sermon is about. Us as the church loving one another. Jesus said this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Jesus kind of planted the flag, just kind of staked the identity of the church, the potency of the church in the world, in a fallen world where people are looking for love. The reputation of the church, the clear connection of the church to Christ, he kind of staked it on how well we love one another. Because there'll be doctrinal confusion, there'll be moral confusion, there'll be ethical confusion, there'll be all this stuff that'll muddy the waters in the world. But Jesus said this, if you guys are a glimpse of heaven on earth, unfettered, intended love for one another, people are gonna look and say, they belong to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to love the world, those who aren't in the church. That's a different sermon. We're even supposed to love our enemies. That's a different sermon. But this message from the scripture is, beloved, you who are loved, love one another. It's a certain kind of love that we're being called to. It is agape love. So what does this mean? Let's explore the term agape love and see what we can learn about it from the text. First point is this. Agape is from God. We see that in verse seven. Again, beloved, let us love one another, agape one another, for agape is from God. Agape is from God. What that is telling us is that this sort of love that we're to show to one another is a different sort of love than we are accustomed to as humanity. Generally as humanity, we have a self-oriented sort of love. Right? It's a glimpse with a baby. You just, you just care for him no matter what. But as we grow older, we get this, this more human-oriented love, very much shaped by our self-centeredness because of our fallen nature, and very much shaped by our culture, which says, which says I am number one. I come first. I got to look out for me. Right? We start seeing this when kids are very young. We don't even have to train them. Just like you don't have to train the little baby to begin to love you, you don't have to train the little kid to be utterly self-centered, right? The world evolves around them. And then when they become teenagers, oh boy, 
This is a different kind of love. Agape is from God. It's not the normal self-oriented, what can I get out of it? It's not looking for reciprocity. I will love you if you love me. I will give to you if you meet my needs. That's not what we're talking about. It has a different source, a different origin. It's different in nature altogether, this idea of agape love with which we're to love one another. So agape is from God. Let's drill down a little further. We see the second point in verse 8. God himself is agape love. Verse 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God. Talk about that means in a few minutes. For God is love. This is one of the basic understandings of the God of the Bible. God is love. Meaning this. In his very essence, in his very nature, God is love. Meaning this. God, the God of the Bible, does not merely sometimes act in loving ways. Everything that God does is loving because God is love. That's something we have to receive by faith because to be honest, sometimes we look around the world and it doesn't look that way. It doesn't feel that way. We are often posed the question as a church and we often ask the question of, as the church, if God is love, why? Right? If God is love, why am I dying of cancer? If God is love, why did my spouse teach on, cheat on me? If God is love, why am I financially ruined? If God is love, how come my parents didn't love me? If God is love, why the Middle East? If God is love, why the airliner shot from the sky? There are all those questions. And those are all questions that we can ask and we wrestle through. But his basic assertion of scripture is that God is love. And we believe that that does not mean that he sometimes has activities of love. Rather, every activity of God is based in love. He is also just. He is also righteous. He is also a consuming fire who judges. He is also light who exposes. But God is love. And if you'll receive it according to scripture by faith, that means that we can trust God, Right? What does a baby instinctively do? It trusts daddy. I love that. When I'm holding little Fifi, which I call her, and you may not, (laughs) when I'm holding little Fifi, there is no thought in her little mind, oh, I I bet daddy's going to drop me. Right? It's not even there. There's this instinctive trust. She feels totally safe in daddy's arms, and she should. There's no thought. If daddy's going to drop me or daddy's going to abandon me or daddy's going to forget me, she, she knows that I've got her. Listen, Christian, God has us. We have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. We are the father's babies. And what the babies are supposed to do is trust the father. But the world feels out of control but things are difficult, but it doesn't make sense. But, bigger but here, God is love. And a father who holds a child so securely is meant to be just a tiny glimpse of the way it's meant to be. We are God's children held by him. He upholds us with his righteous right arm, the scriptures say. 
Jesus says, I have my sheep in my hand and my father clasps over like this. God is love. All that he does, though it doesn't always make sense, is in love. So we'll drill down a little deeper. Verse 9 tells us this, that agape love has been then demonstrated by God right? Agape is from God. God himself is agape. And agape has been demonstrated by God. Verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. God showed how much he loved us by giving his son for us. Agape has been demonstrated by God. The, The nature of this love For God so loved the world that he... Come on, people at a football game do better than that. Can you be the church for a second? For God so loved the world that he... Gave. Everybody knows that. For God so loved the world that he gave. So, So the essence of agape love is a love that gives. It's a love that gives. And it's not a love that gives with duplicity. It's not, a give that's looking, it's not a love that's looking for a return on investment. It's a love that gives selflessly. For God so loved a wretched sinner named Brett who was a rebel against him that he gave his one and only perfect, sinless, righteous, holy son to die a horrific death in my place that I might have life. You can't give more than that. What God gave you, you can't give more than that. So God has demonstrated the nature of the love with which we're to love one another, agape, by showing us what it looks like in the person of Christ and his work upon the cross. God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, rebels, contrary to God, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. That's the nature of agape love. So agape is from God. God himself is agape. Agape has been demonstrated by God. And the fourth point, agape is the way God loves us. He didn't only demonstrate agape, but he loves us in this way. Verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God. This is important. I want you to get this. This is real love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice, propitiation, to take away our sins. This is real love. Not the way that we love God, but the way that God loved us. Think about it now. We love God, certainly we do. It's part of the redeemed. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Jesus said, we, we love the Lord. But... God is so lovable. So what what merit is there in that? I mean, we've been saved by this holy, righteous, wonderful, powerful, beautiful creator of the world who's so beautiful that creation is a mere reverberation of his glory. When we see the most beautiful sights in creation, it's merely an echo of the glory of God. Just a minor revelation, glimpse of the beauty and the glory of God. We love God, certainly, but look what God gave for us and God is so lovable. And we would have to confess that we love God, but we sure do want a lot from him. 
And we act that way, don't we, sometimes? You know, my 13-year-old son, Isaiah, whom I love desperately, he's always trying to do with me, bargain with me. <laughs> Comes up to me, Dad, I love you so much. And I'm so stoked that he says that. And he's 13, he's still saying that. Dad, I love you so much. All right. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, I just wonder if maybe I could get, Dad, would you get me? I, I don't blame him, right? My wife sees through me too. Hey, sweetheart, I love you, baby. You look so pretty today. What'd you do? You look so nice. Okay, honey, what, what would you like? I mean, you know, we do that sometimes. We love because of what we'll get out of it. That's why marriages fail, because we lapse into that sort of love. I will love you as long as you're meeting my needs. When you're not, I don't love you anymore. This is true love, not the way that we love, but the way that God has loved us. Listen to me. God is lovable. God has much to offer. No wonder we love him. In our sin, we were altogether unlovely before God. Nothing to offer. Core doctrine of God is that he is all-sufficient. Nothing to offer. Nothing we had that he needed. He spoke us into existence. He made us out of the dust that he made. What could we offer to him? He didn't need us, but for some reason, even though we were unlovely enemies of God, he loved us. This is beautiful. Get this. This is beautiful. It's going to offend you, hopefully. This is beautiful. God does not love you because you're lovable. He loves you because he is love. What that does is free us from trying to appear lovely to God. Have you ever lived trying to please somebody? Maybe it was your father. You just thought, gosh, if I could just do good enough, if I could just measure up, then he'll love me in a certain way. Maybe it's your spouse. If I just maintain these looks or I maintain this income, maybe it was a leader that you looked up to. Maybe it's your boss. That performance thing, Because God is love. He loves us with a perfect love in spite of our failures. That's the gospel. That's the beautiful gospel is that we've been freed from trying to earn the love of God. What a bummer when you have to earn somebody's love. Don't you begin to despair if you're in a marriage and all of a sudden you feel like, wait, I I thought we were in a covenant here and now I gotta like, Earn this thing. Where the thought, I mean, there's plenty of examples. We are loved even though in our sin we were unlovely because God is love. That means that his love can never be taken from us nor improved upon. He loves us perfectly. It's not dependent upon our performance or our loveliness. This is true love, not the way that we love, but the way that God has loved us us and does love us. That is what agape love is. The sending of Jesus was both the revelation of God's love. This is how God has showed his love and the very essence of love itself. This is love. So that for those who have been loved in this way, through Christ and our faith in him, sins forgiven, perfectly accepted by the father, perfectly adored, standing in grace, beloved of God, What the text is saying is for those who have experienced agape, agape each other. 
Jesus said it in John 15. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. And then to clarify, greater love has no one than this. He laid down his life for his friends. This is my commandment. You guys who are Jesus followers, you guys who are going to follow me, he said, love each other in the same way that I love you. If you're ever wondering about how to deal with each other, if you're ever wondering whether or not you should forgive each other, if you're ever wondering about how long you can hold on to that bitterness, if you're ever wondering if you should share your resources, if you're ever wondering if you should pick up the one who's fallen, encourage the one who's broken, if you're ever wondering if we should share one another's burdens, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. So this is a selfless, other-oriented love. The seeking of another's positive good at at one's own cost. Excuse me, again, not controlled. This is where it's so contrary to the world. Not controlled by what we get, but open to whatever we can give. For God so loved us, he gave. I wonder how we should love one another. You guys are slow, but you're good. (laughs) A other-oriented, selfless sort of love. What is imperative that we get is this, and this is important for us. The text is not calling us to feel anything. That's really important. Because we generally think of love and we think feelings. Right? And we often confuse the two, right? The text is not calling us to feel anything. The text is calling us to obey something. The text is calling us to a choice of the will that says rightly as an act of worship for and unto God, because I have been so loved, so forgiven, so accepted, so cared for, when I was unlovely before a holy and righteous God. I will love, accept, forgive, care for those around me in a way which is mutually exclusive of how I feel. See, it's a deeper thing. It's a truer love. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The challenge to this is the nature of the church. Listen, it's, it's often easy to love people who are in your natural family, right? Because you're, you're born into the family, you've known each other a long time, you have connection, you're like, dude, we're blood. So there's this easy love thing, like family, you know, we love our families, that's a work of God, that's ordained by God. It's easy sometimes to love your friends. You get to choose your friends. One of the very few things in life you get to choose, so choose wisely, right? You get to choose your friends. That guy, I don't really want to be friends with him. This guy, love this guy, totally bros. It's easy to love your friends. Jesus said, if you love those who who love you, that's natural, that's normal, no big deal. We love people of the opposite sex for obvious reasons. That's normal. We love the lovely and the lovable because everybody does. 
They're famous. They're extolled. They're lauded. They're worshipped in our culture. They're lovable and lovely. That's of no merit. This sort of love is love within the church. Here's the thing about the church. You don't get to choose who's in it. I mean, you could. You could say, well, dude, I don't like these people. I'm going to go to a different church. You're not going to like them either. Because here's what every single church is made up of. Every single church. Here's a secret. Every single church is made up of jacked up people. Messed up people. You cannot be in the church unless you're broken. Come on, give me something more. It's a prerequisite. You cannot be in the church unless you recognize that you are broken and sinful. That you sin, that you cause sin, and that you've been the victim of sin, and because because of it, you're smelly and jacked up. You can't be a Christian without that. You're not a member of the church unless you're a Christian. So everybody is messed up. Now you say, okay, but Pastor Britt, sanctification, man, totally get it. But sanctification is not immediate. I wish that as soon as you got saved, you were without flaw. And I'm sure that you wish that as soon as I had been saved, all my brokenness went away. All my carnality went away. All my selfishness went away. All my grudges and bitterness and but they don't. The penalty of them goes away. Forgiven. Wash white as snow. A work of healing begins in our hearts. We have a new power to live in a different way. And we have the hope and the promise of that day when we are in glory. And the devil is bound, future, even though he's defeated now. Death is no more future, even though it's been defeated by the cross. There's no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. uh, Creation is restored, and we no longer deal with the sinful nature. Then we're going to say, hey, you're so lovable. Right? No one in heaven is going to be struggling to love because all that stuff is done away with. And God, who is love, we're in his presence. But for now, we struggle to varying degrees of brokenness, do we not? And we all enter the church at different times. You guys took those surveys. Some of you are like, oh, I've been a Christian 13 years. I was reading some surveys from the first service. One girl had been a Christian for three days. I saw another guy, been a Christian for 55 years. See, they're in a different place with regards to sanctification, different stuff that God has done in their life. So no matter what church you go to, there's going to be a lot of brokenness in it. Right? Right? So what's gnarly is the call in the church to agape is saying, God is saying, because of the way I've loved you, I want you to love broken, unlovable people with a selfless, beautiful, caring, agape love. That's that's gnarly stuff. Why would God demand such a thing of us? Because the church is meant to be a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of glory, a reverberation 
and a foreshadow of the way things are meant to be. So, it's harder to love each other in this agape way in some ways because it's not based on feelings. We like to be led by our feelings. It's not based on that. So it's harder. It's self-sacrificial. It's often going to be counter to the way that we feel. But can we look at the other side of that coin? We can also see that it's easier to love each other with an agape love because, again, it's not based on feelings. It's a truer, pure sort of love. No longer is it about, do I feel loved? Are my needs met? Am I being pleased? Do I like you? Am I attracted to you? Do we click? Do we get along? What do I get out of it? Can I get a witness that it feels so good to be freed from that self-absorption? The cross frees us from that self-absorption. The one who loves us sacrificed himself for us, gave himself up willingly. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. He gave himself for the joy set before him. Us being reconciled to him gladly gave himself so that now we, as those who are loved, can love in that same way. And can I get a witness that it feels good to be free from self-absorption through the cross of Jesus Christ? It feels good. But it's hard. But it's hard. Because I find that at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, I'm pretty selfish. Pretty self-oriented. Pretty self-absorbed. Pretty concerned with how I feel. And my ego. And who hurt me. And who's looking at me. And who's not. And what I'm going to get out of it. So what I find I need is a power outside of myself to rescue me from that, which is what the gospel does. We love because we are loved. And verse seven makes it really clear the resources that we have. I know we're back to verse seven, back to the beginning. Beloved, let us love one another for love is number one from God and everyone who loves is born of God and everyone who loves, number three, knows God. You see, this love that we're talking about is resourced and supplied by God. God's not expecting us to muster it up because what's been happening during this sermon is you guys are thinking about who failed to love you and who you failed to love and where you were greedy and didn't give and who you need to forgive and how you're totally unconcerned for that person and how you don't like that person, but now you're in the church and and you got to love them. We need an outside resource. Agape love is from God. We can ask God and say, God, help me to love people. I have to pray that prayer a lot. Yeah. I have to pray that prayer a lot. And there's resource because it's not from us. Agape is from God. You don't have to try harder or be better. Say, God, I need help to love in the way that I've been loved. The second point is our new nature. It's the result of a change in us. 
Whereas before we only had the old nature that was contrary to God, the sin nature. Now we have the new nature, which is alive to God and responsive to God. And yet Galatians 5 tells us that the spirit wages war against the flesh. And there's this struggle with the old self and the new self. And one day that'll be done away with when we're in glory. But for now, there is this great struggle. But what we must know is that we truly have a new nature that is alive to God and the love of God and is capable by the empowering of God of loving in a different way than the world knows love. We truly can. We truly are children of God. And that third point there is everyone who loves knows God. Knows God. Loving in this way is a fruit of experience. It flows from our lives, I think, more effectively, the more time that we spend with the Lord. I have found that when my time is short with God, I'm short with people. Anybody else? It's so evident in my life. In fact, my wife and I have this thing, like when we start getting a little bickery at each other, a little snitty, like back and forth, like bugged by each other, mean or selfish. Like sometimes she'll just look at me and go, dude, you need to go be with Jesus. (laughs) It's cool that we have that kind of relationship, right? But she knows, she knows that the more time I spend basking in the love of God in Christ through prayer, the word of God, meditating, just enjoying his presence, worshiping, the more time I spend in the presence of his love, absorbing, being reminded of, enjoying his love, the easier it is for me to love people. It's just the fruit. Here we go. Oh my gosh, revelation. The fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But first, love The fruit of the Spirit is love. So the more time that we cultivate intimacy with God through Christ, the more the fruit of our lives is love. So think about it. I mean, let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Are you loving each other as Christians the way that you're called to? Am I? Look, you're just dealing with this for 50 minutes. I've been dealing with this all week. Am I loving the way that I'm supposed to love? So often the answer is no. So what do I do? Well, just try harder and be a better Christian. No, that's not what the text says. It says that this love is from God. Ask God to fill your heart with this love. Romans 5, 5 says the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. It says that this love is for those who have been born again. We have a new nature that is alive to God, filled with the love of God, brand new life with which to love. And it's for those who know God. So spend time with them. Cultivate intimacy with God. Let the fruit of your life be love that comes from that. So why do we agape one another? God himself is love. We were made in his image and remade in his image through salvation. We ourselves are the objects of God's love. We are the beloved of God. And here's a final point. Final point. God continues to love in and through us. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, trip out on this. And the other thing that John wrote, the gospel, 
in the first chapter, John chapter one, verse 18, he said almost the same thing, but with a totally different second part. Look what he says in John 1, 18. No one has seen God at any time. Sound familiar? Just what he said in 1 John 4, 12. But the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, talking about Jesus, he has explained him, right? That's part of the doctrine of Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God, the Bible says, right? All the fullness of God, of the deity, of the Godhead dwells in Christ. He has explained, that word in Greek is exegeomai. He has exegeted, unfolded, revealed to us who God is. Christ has, how? Through his love and his work on the cross. Now look at what John says again in verse 12 of 1 John 4. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God's love abides in us and his love is perfected, meaning completed, meaning brought to full expression in us. In the same way that the coming of Jesus Christ was the revelation of God's love, the explanation, the exposing of God's love, the church is meant to be to one another and in the world today. The continued unfolding revelation, explanation, and experience of God's love. We love each other because God is love and we were made in his image and have been remade in his image through salvation. We love one another because we have been loved by God in Christ and we love one another because we are a primary means in which we experience God's love by loving each other. No one has seen God at any time. There were times when my daughter was dying that God felt so far from me. But he would come near in a brother or a sister and a kind word and an embrace and a gift and a prayer. There are times where because of what's going on in our world, it doesn't seem like God is love. Children are abandoned and people are starving and there's wars and rumors of wars and planes are being shot out of the sky. And How do we know God is love? Well, part of how that is brought to full expression is the way that we love one another. This is why, brothers and sisters, we just can't afford to fail in this one. We just can't say, well, there's another Bible text and there's another sermon. I'm gonna go ahead and do what I usually do. We have to hear the gospel-empowered call to love because we are the beloved. This changes everything. Lord, help us to respond to that. And I know, Lord, uh, it can't be a guilt trip and it can't be a religion thing. It's got to be a true love thing. And so we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would minister the love of the Father to our hearts. That you would remind us, that you'd bring to mind doctrine, that you would remind us of the truth of the cross, that as we come forward today and take communion, we would be remembered of the love of God, proven, poured out, in the work of the cross. 
And Holy Spirit, you'd pour the love of the Father into our hearts. You'd bring to remembrance the truth that God loves us even when our world and our lives don't make sense. That we'd be overwhelmed truly with an experience of God's love. I know, Lord, that you don't want us to just believe that you love us. You want us to experience your love. Some of us here have been hurt in so many ways that in such deep ways it's hard for us to experience love. Some of us have had such violations and such trust broken that it's hard for us to even believe that we're truly, perfectly accepted and loved by the Father through Christ. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to believe and receive the love of the Father as manifest in the cross of Christ. And if anyone here has never experienced that, help them to repent of their sins and turn to you and believe in what you did for them upon the cross and then to receive forgiveness and experience that love. But Lord, we don't, we don't want the love to just stop with us. We're meant to be cracked vessels that the love of God pours into and out of, even though we're broken. So help the love of God to pour through our lives into one another. Teach us, Lord. Please, God, teach me. Teach us to love each other in the way that we've been loved, that God's love might be brought to full expression in our church for the glory of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.